Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We've arrived at an important image in the prophet Isaiah. There's this stump. Remember from this past weekend's sermon, the picture that I showed you of this stump in my backyard that I don't know if it's 50 years ago or 150 years ago, somebody cut down a massive tree. And then another tree started growing out of the stump of it. And now that tree is like 60 or 70 feet tall in my backyard. I don't know how tall it is. It's massive. It's also interesting too. It's, it's a sequoia and those are not native to this area that may have come here from, from Northern California somewhere. But for a long time, you would have looked at this clear cut stump and said, that thing is dead and there's nothing growing out of it. And you would have been wrong. You would look at Israel and Judah after God is done dealing with them for their corrupt leadership, their false prophets, their negligence of the poor, their failure to give people fair trials and, and abide by everything that God had prescribed for them as a theocratic society living under the old covenant. They had neglected all their duties and even the citizenship of Israel had become just godless and wicked. And as God is dealing with his people, pouring out wrath and all that, the theme was, and all this, his anger's not complete and his hand is still raised to strike. Like you'd think that God's done dealing with it. No, here comes more punishment, more wrath, more discipline, but it will be spent. It does come to a close because God's not, God's not just pouring out meaningless anger on his own people. He's disciplining them and refining them and bringing them to repentance. And his plan is to send the Savior, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Messiah, the Christ. Here's chapter 11. Then, okay, uh, talking about after how, after the clearing the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon and its majesty will fall. Okay, think like axe, fall. We've got a cut down tree here. Here's chapter 11. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them talking about the birth of the Christ child. The cow and the bear will graze. With, uh, their, their young ones will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This is describing Christ and his ministry. You see the imagery of the axe, everything's cut down, it's a dead stump, but then there's growth that will come. And he is the holy seed. He is this shoot that will grow from the stump of Jesse and the branch from his roots will bear fruit. 
The fruitlessness of Israel was partly why Jesus would indict Israel. This is why every time he came upon a fruitless fig tree, something would go down. Jesus would like overturn tables and things like that. But now this is describing a fruitful ministry. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Do you remember the dove descending down upon Jesus? The Spirit of God descending like a dove to rest upon Jesus upon his baptism and the proclamation of the Father. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Here we see a beautiful, clear picture of the triune nature of God. The Father expressing his approval of the Son upon whom the Spirit is descending. So the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because we fear the Lord, we know where everything comes from. We know not only the origins of physical matter, but of life and morality and meaning, our Savior and where all of this is going. The fear of the Lord is that reverential awe of God. When I was giving my son a ride somewhere the other day, I was in my car. The car has a Hemi. It's a decently powerful engine. And when roads are wet, you know, it's really easy just to feather the gas pedal ever so slightly too much and then send the rear wheels spinning and send the car fishtailing or swerving. And so you've got to be careful when you're on like soaking wet roads, especially when it's been snowing like it has all week here and you can get ice on the roads. I got to drive that car with a proper reverence and respect for it. I can't just... I can't just come out of my driveway, go, <laughs> and then slam on the gas pedal because, yeah, we're going to end up in a tree. I have to have a proper fear and respect for what could happen. You have a proper reverential awe for God. He is the mighty one. He is the judge. He is the creator. We behold his mercy and his grace and his love. But if we mistake the mercy and the grace and the love for the whole sum of God and who he is, neglecting to realize that he has wrath for sin, then we've painted an emasculated picture of God. We've feminized God to our own liking in a way in which we're more comfortable, and frankly, to someone whom we can manipulate. The truth is that God is worthy of awe and respect. He is to be feared. He is the righteous king and conqueror. This text would go on to say he will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. That's scary because I've been guilty of wickedness in my past. I'm, I'm prone to depravity in my own sinful nature. And so, wow, that would put me in this crosshairs potentially. The only thing that could save me from this is mercy from that very same Savior and judge. The scepter and the striking down with what comes from his mouth, these are vaguely similar to Revelation 19. Behold, I saw heaven open up, and there before me was a rider on a white horse, whose name was Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. He would describe the fire of his eyes and the crown on his head, the armies behind him in linen white and clean, the robe that's dipped in blood, the name written on him that he alone knows, King of kings and Lord of lords, that he would tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, that he would, and here's where it's similar to Isaiah 11, he would rule them with an iron scepter and that there would be a sword representing the word of God that would come from his mouth with which to strike down the nations. So there's even apocalyptic tones within 
Isaiah 11, particularly in verse 4, it's foretelling the ministries of Jesus. That he would not judge by what he sees or execute justice by what he hears with his ears is consistent with what the Gospel of John in particular reveals about Jesus as he is subjugating himself to the will of the Father. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. This, this does this remind you of Ephesians chapter 6? That's pretty cool to think of because Ephesians 6 wouldn't come until even after Jesus, right? That uh, this is 700 years before Christ. And then after Christ, the epistles would be written, including to the church at Ephesus. So then that a child would lead them in verse 6 speaks to this. This, this could be one of the verses that led the Magi to Jerusalem to inquire about the city where the one born king would be found. You know, the, when, when they go before Herod and Herod uh, consults with his wise men and they all bring up the Old Testament prophet, it's not Isaiah, but this could have been one of the things they were looking for, that a child would lead them. And it describes this restoration of the perfect creation order. You no longer have creation that's marred by sin and death. You no longer have the fear of man put within animals. A child can put his hand within a snake pit. The infant will play by the cobra's pit. We're back in Eden because of the, the fully realized ministry of this Messiah, this shoot from the stump of Jesse. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord. And then what is the beginning of knowledge? It's the fear of the Lord. As the sea is filled with water. How full is the sea with water? Absolutely. How full is the land of the knowledge of the Lord? Absolutely. That's perfection. And that's the ultimate ministry of the Messiah. You can see that its scope goes way beyond merely Israel for one generation at one time. It's eternal and it's forever and it's perfection and it's where we're heading. See, the book of Isaiah may be an Old Testament book, but these promises stretch into an infinite eternal future. They're just as relevant today in that regard.